the biggest journey in life is the one from adulthood to parenthood. And it comes with no manual. I wanted a manual. Tell me what to do next. And so it really got me to thinking like, how can we start to put that together for parents? Like, where's the manual and how can we start to bring that? And, and I remember it was a conversation with my brother where I, I was at that point. I was like, it's time to go back to work. And he was like, Monica, this is your now or never moment. If you go back, you're not gonna ever do this because it's so hard to take this leap. My husband was supportive, he was supportive. They were like, now is your moment. If you're gonna do something different, jump and don't ever look back. And so I, I jumped. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Monica Royer has a fascinating story of balancing success as an entrepreneur with being a mom. In this week's episode, we get to hear her inspiring tale, which shows that it is possible to be successful at both. After her daughter was born, Monica Royer began to look for quality, organic baby clothes and a company that was willing to work with moms. Realizing a huge hole in the market, she decided to create her own brand by founding Monica and Andy. Monica and Andy aspires to be the most thoughtful children's apparel brand on the market. All of their products and services are designed and approved by moms for moms in order to ensure they're up to the best standards for kids. As a customer of the brand, I can tell you firsthand, if you need to buy baby gifts, this is the place to go. Everyone loves it. Monica's story is coming up after the break. The following message comes from Hewlett Packard Enterprise, a global edge to cloud company helping you prepare for the next wave of digital transformation. If you're looking to add a podcast to your mix, tune into HPE Tech Talk. It's a podcast for business leaders and change makers that want to be in the know on the latest tech trends that are propelling businesses and whole industries forward. The HPE Tech Talk podcast tackles big tech predictions and explores questions like, how can you monetize data? What's the future of cloud? And why is Zero Trust the gold standard for security? Search HPE Tech Talk in your podcast app to subscribe. And now on with the show. We're back. So with Monica's brother, Andy Dunn, also being such a successful entrepreneur, I began by asking Monica about her early childhood and some of the values instilled in her and her brother at a young age. Could there be a secret to entrepreneurial success? I would describe our, our parents as the opposite of entrepreneurs to a certain degree. And our childhood was really unique, Robert. I do think our unique childhood is really what shaped my brother and I in so many ways. So my, our mom is an immigrant from India. She came here from New Delhi at the age of 19 to start a better life, to send money back to her ailing father at the time. My dad is of European origin. His family had been here on one side, at least for a few generations. And so I would say from the time that when my brother and I were born, I think that, you know, now it's, it's amazing. The world is such a melting pot and, you know, there are so many multicultural children, but I will say when we were growing up, we were the only two kids that we felt were like us where, you know, we didn't really necessarily fit in on the Indian side of our family. We didn't necessarily fit in on the other side of our family. And, I, and so I think between the two of us, 
we felt very unique and very different. And that's a lot of what really brought us together and made us close. And my brother and I often say that we'll never win the lottery because we won the lottery with our parents. We got the two, we feel, best parents on earth. And so I think that we were a very average family. My mom came from very poor origins and education really propelled her forward. And so it's not like we grew up with a little, but we certainly didn't grow up with a lot. But I remember we felt like millionaires as kids, even though we were far from it, just because my parents did so much to enrich our lives. And so I think that, you know, having parents like we did really shaped who we would become. But my parents were like the play it safe generation, right? They were working hard. And and so when my brother decided in 07 that he, you know, as he was graduating from Stanford Business School, that he actually wasn't going to take any of these great financial jobs, that he was going to start this online men's pants company. I mean, as a family, Robert, we were, whew, we were nervous about that. We were like, all right, oh, you're not particularly fashionable. Like we think you look good, but <laughs> we're not so sure everybody else is going to think that. And then, you know, nobody buys anything online. So we grew into entrepreneurships, <laughs> entrepreneurship, Andy, definitely well before me. I never had that on my radar. Well, let me ask you, what was that like? What was the feeling seeing your mom really working hard just to send money back, I assume, to your relatives. What was that feeling like? It was a very unique feeling at the time. I've grown to realize how special some of what we endured or what we learned as children was. Is When you're growing up, it feels like that maybe that's the norm for everybody. And I think it wasn't just my mom sending the money back, but it was really my grandmother, my mother's mother. And so she, um, she was born 88 years to the day before my daughter. And so, you know, I think a lot about like, wow, in a few generations, how much a family can change. So my grandmother was a 12-year-old child bride in India. She had the first of her nine children at the age of 14. And then she came here as like my brother and I were young to take care of us. My mom had sent money home for her ailing father who actually passed away before we were born. And so, you know, we spent a lot of time being not only taken care of by my parents, but also reared by my grandmother. And so I saw in her eyes a lot, there was a hardship behind the eye, her eyes and a drive for really a desire for education to propel everybody forward. And so there was such a focus on that for us as we were children. And I think part of the Indian culture and part of so many immigrant cultures is really this value of family. And so we really grew up to value family above almost all else. And I think that's where was Andy embarked on, you know, Bonobos, my brother in 07. My parents said to me, hey, Monica, don't quit your day job. Like we really need you to be there for your brother. And I took that very seriously at the time. I thought, wow, like if, all right, maybe I'll be supporting my brother someday. Who knows what's going to happen? So I think that it was those early immigrant values that did really shape who Andy and I would become. Yeah. It's such an incredible thing to think when you talk about your grandmother being in that position at that age and what a different life. And then the opportunity you received here because your mom decided to come here and and really work hard. It sounds like it was a great base. And like you said, won the lottery in in parenting. How about your dad? How was he influential with uh, your upbringing? I feel like my dad was absolutely incredible. First of all, it was great because my dad was just, he was like, immersed in this gigantic Indian family. And so I feel like my mom had this really dominant, really big family. And I remember in the earliest days, it was like my dad was one of her family. She was the only person in her of her siblings. So she had seven brothers and sisters all together. She was the only person that married outside of the culture. And I remember thinking, oh, my dad's so different 
for so many reasons from like my uncles or my, or my, you know, the rest of the family, but he fit in so well. And so the cool, really cool thing about my dad is he's a history teacher. And so you never get a short answer to any <laughs> question you ask my dad. And so I think we really saw my dad as this paragon of knowledge. And what we learned so much from my mom's side of the family, my dad truly, we learned so much about integrity, the type of person that you want to become. My dad was one of those people and is one of those people who was always there for us as kids, always hugging us, telling us he loved us, like my both of my parents encouraging us. And so I think it was in seeing, it was seeing two people that grew up, one here in the United States, one in New Delhi. And I remember thinking like, as I saw my parents come together and they've been married now for 48 years and have had this successful marriage, I think one of the number one things that I learned from my dad is that you can learn about another culture and you can become part of another culture, regardless of the culture that you were born into. And so what I saw with my parents was really acceptance of who each other was and where they came from. And you can come from two very different backgrounds, but really find common ground. And so they were very well balanced with their strengths and weaknesses. And I think, you know, my brother and I revere both of my parents. Right. So tell me about your early career and what you did starting out before you became an entrepreneur. Were you always an entrepreneur? I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I feel like I was one. And it wasn't because I just didn't want to be it, to be honest. It never crossed my mind. I wasn't like the kid with the lemonade stand, you know, trying to sell stuff. That that was never who I was and what I thought about. I had always been really interested in medicine. A lot of the my aunts and uncles were physicians. And, you know, in the early years, I worked at the hospital. My mom had us. I mean, we had work permits at the age of 14. We were volunteering at the hospital at the age of 12. And so every single summer and every single break, I was always working at the hospital and I loved it. So I thought, oh, I'm going to have a career in medicine. And then I realized that actually I'm, I'm really social. I enjoy talking to people. And so as, in college, I realized that like, wow, maybe there's something more in the pharmaceutical industry that I wanted to do. I, I, didn't, I didn't feel particularly passionate about any one avenue, but I knew I wanted to study hard. I wanted to get a good job. And so pretty early out of college, I worked at Pfizer. I ended up moving into Novartis. I was in pharmaceutical sales for a decade, completely different than what I would end up doing here. So there was nothing about my background or what I was doing that would have ever suggested, oh, you know, Monica's going to run a company someday. She's going to start her own company. Monica Nandy for me was really started out of necessity, out of things that I wished I had and found. So it was just a desire to, for parents to have a better path than I felt like I had found to a certain degree. It was never because I wanted to start a company or think, think about like, what you know, what could I do? So what made you finally walk away from corporate America and start your own business? My daughter really was the absolute catalyst for that. So I feel like going back to literally when I had her in the hospital, I had lived a plant-based lifestyle for probably also the previous five years to having her. And so even though my husband and I were very average human beings in terms of financially, the average people spend a lot of money on their first child. And so we had this organic mattress and it was really important to me that like everything that you associated with her was as clean and as pure and as good as it could be. And then I remember getting to the hospital and I brought clothes for myself, but I didn't bring anything for her. And I remember she, her skin was really sensitive. It was like peeling and there was little bumps on it. And they put the, the totally appropriate clothing in the hospital. But I remember it just didn't feel scratchy or it didn't feel soft. So I thought, oh, like, I wish I had just brought something myself for her to wear. So I started shopping online right away. And I thought, you know, none of these stores, they all felt like children were secondary or tertiary. Men's or women's were like the premier brand. And I thought, you know, as parents, as moms, 
you know, we go through so much to have our child. I kind of want, I feel like a rock star. I just had a baby, like, but, but I'm not being treated like one, right? Far from it. And so as that journey of new parenthood continued, it wasn't just about the product. I thought, you know, I want the softest organic clothing. A lot of it, Robert, became about the community and the lack of community. I mean, parenthood, as you know, is one of the most complex, the, the biggest journey in, in life is the one from adulthood to parenthood. And it comes with no manual. I wanted a manual. Tell me what to do next. And so it really got me to thinking, like, how can we start to put that together for parents? Like, where's the manual and how can we start to bring that? And, and I remember it was a conversation with my brother where I, I was at that point. I was like, ah, it's time to go back to work. And he was like, Monica, this is your now or never moment. If you go back, you're not going to ever do this because it's so hard to take this leap. My husband was supportive. He was supportive. They were like, now is your moment. If you're going to do something different, jump and don't ever look back. And so I, I jumped. Did you have, I mean, they were telling you to jump. Obviously there was some hesitation on your part. Take me back to that time. What was that feeling like when you actually did decide to say, Hey, I'm going for this. Were you anxious? Were you excited? What was that moment like? I was excited. And at the time I was so immersed that, you know, I was a stay at home mom. I was the primary caregiver for my daughter. My, my husband was there, but he had gone back to work. And so it was really a juggle. I had, there were just snippets of time. So like maybe in the beginning in that first couple of months, there was like two hours a day that I could work on things and think about it. And then it became three hours a day. And then it became four hours a day. It didn't surpass four hours a day for an awfully long time. But I feel like it was that experience of that journey as a new mom where I was uncovering more questions, more things I wanted answers to. And so I feel like it was really that three-year incubation period that I was at home before I launched the brand, but I was working on it that it became not just about the product. And I had that time to touch all of these different fabrics. And I thought a lot about the factories that we were working with, right? We were manufacturing in India. And I, I thought, how are the workers being treated at these factories? Like got certified was very important to me because I thought... I could be working at this factory, my grandmother, my mother. So the health of the supply chain, and those aren't easy factories to find, it took time. But on the other side of that, I was discovering all these things about community that were lacking. I mean, I had my daughter in like end of November and a cold Chicago winter, and I was so lonely. And I thought, geez, if I can, if I can just keep other moms from feeling this lonely, that they can find friends and meet other, meet other parents in general, how could we do that? And so if not for that incubation period, I don't think the brand would have become what it has become. It was like through what I felt, I wouldn't call it suffering necessarily, but through the trials and tribulations of early parenthood that really forged what the brand would eventually become for me. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced when you first launched? And, and do you remember, were there any kind of like make or break moments? Absolutely. When we first launched, I mean, the funny part was that, okay, by the time we first launched, one of the things we thought about is, all right, what are the learnings of Bonobos? You know, I'd watched Bonobos at that point for six years. We would be foolish if we didn't look back on the Bonobos story and say, like, what were the things that Andy had done well? What were the things that he wished he had done differently? And one of the big things was in the early days, he had said online only, online only, online only. And then I learned never say never because you may end up eating your words. And here, by the time I launched Monica and Andy, he had guide shops that were incredible customer acquisition tools. And so I remember him and I talking and we thought, you know, we've got to be omni-channel to begin with, at least with retail and physical store. 
So here in Lincoln Park in Chicago, we launched both things simultaneously. And Robert, what we didn't know because Andy hadn't done it that way is that physical retail would take over the next three years of our lives. I mean, it was so fun. There was diaper changes and cookie crumbs. And I had an office right in the back of my Lincoln Park shop. So every day I got to meet my customers. I got to see what they liked and what they didn't like, but we, we sold out of all of our product there. And so the truth was that we weren't even building a digital brand yet. Like we were hitting our numbers and we were selling through stuff, but so much more robustly in physical retail than I had ever dreamed would be possible. And obviously, you know a lot about physical retail. I mean, it's so all-encompassing and it's really hard to get your head out of that space and into the direct-to-consumer space. So I think a big learning for me was like, wow, I've really got to start building this digital muscle for the brand. How am I going to reach more customers and build this broader community? And that came, but it came with some thought in terms of like, all right, we got to, we've got to get our head out of this store and we've got to start thinking more broadly about, about more national consumers. And when he did start thinking about it and looking kind of more direct to consumer, did you learn a lot? Did you rely on your brother? Now, is he part, I know it's Monica and Andy. Is he involved with the business or? Yeah, so he is the chairman of the board. So he is in an official capacity involved, but not with the day-to-day business. And he's never been part of the day-to-day business. Fortunately or unfortunately for me, he's had quite a number of day jobs while I've been doing this. And so I have been incredibly fortunate to get his advice, his counsel. And so he's definitely left an indelible mark on the things that we have done. But the day-to-day work has been for me, my co-founder, Brian Bloom, like we've, we've got a good group and a good team of people at the table here. And so Andy has absolutely been an advisor, but, but not a day-to-day member of the team. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was challenging at first to really start to think about how we build this direct-to-consumer muscle. But once we started thinking about it, Robert, once we started like putting our resources behind it, once we started thinking about how we market it, and we were still able to utilize physical retail, over the lifetime of the brand, we did 18 pop-ups. And so in a lot of cases, we were able to partner a really quick pop-up that we did. So we were able to have a physical space in a lot of these other markets. And the combination of those two things for us was really, really potent. And we had a team of moms and parents. We would look at each market, like what are the moms in Boston? Like what are their needs? And how does that different from the moms in LA? And there were so many similarities across the gambit, but there were also nuances to each city. And so we would dive in and say, who are the experts? Who are the, who are the parents and the moms we want to get to know? And we had so much fun as we, as we slowly started to build things out more broadly. You know, I love the fact about the brand that you did focus a lot on experiential and personally, obviously coming from both of my businesses that I built uh, prior to this new podcast business that I've started, we're always focused on experiential events. And a lot of people have said in this era, especially in the past year with COVID, like experiential, that's not going to play a factor but it really seems like that's still an incredibly important part of your ethos, you know, of your brand ethos. Tell me about how that started with Experiential and what your plans are now moving forward. Definitely. In the earliest days, a lot of it was that I really craved meeting other moms and parents at the same stage as me. And I had trouble finding the right places to do that. And so from the very beginning, I had always thought that if I have a storefront, once I decided I was going to have a storefront, I knew because my daughter had the lungs of Pavarotti and there were like cookie crumbs and we made such a mess everywhere we went that I thought 
I'm always afraid to walk into a store with her. So I thought if I have a store, I want to have a store where like they're screaming kids, cookie crumbs all over the place. Like, let's just make it chaos. So like you walk into chaos and you're not worried about creating it yourself. So I knew that from the minute that I decided I wanted to have a store. Then by the time the brand launched in 2014, I had like an almost four-year-old and I thought, what am I going to do with her while I'm working in this back office? So I thought like, well, we're going to need entertainment, right? And I had all of these other moms that had come along on this journey with me that had become these like brand evangelists as I described, like what we wanted to do. We all had our kids with us from the person that was managing our store, the person that was doing our packaging. And so lo and behold, we met Tunes with Tim, who was like our first music person at the store and still works with us today. And it was like art, music, story time. And then it wasn't even a conscious decision of like, oh, this is going to acquire us customers. We weren't we weren't that smart about it, right? We were just like, hey, we got a problem. Let's figure out how to solve it. And then it turned out, wow, this is bringing people back in multiple times a week. And these people are becoming really strong customers for us. And then we realized we are this event-driven commerce brand. We're all about this journey that people are going on. And this journey doesn't change that much from year to year. And so we started to realize if we have this cadence of experts that come in, that interact with our customers, there's so many things that I wish that I could have navigated better that, that I thought, let's put this content out there. And a lot of that came in the form of what we, you know, what we would consider to be experiences. And that really built for us. Yeah. I love that. And I love the fact that that's really helped the business and just showing the value of what that really means that there's a reason you go to Starbucks and pay $6 for a coffee. It's because you're getting that feeling of being in a coffee shop and a barista and and you're paying for the environment. Coffee bean costs like two cents, right? So it really is because no one, I haven't seen a lot of that done on, on a widespread level. And it just seems so ideal for your business. More from our guests, but first a word from our sponsors. How do the most innovative companies reach mobile consumers? Meet Attentive, the text messaging solution trusted by innovative retail and e-commerce brands like CB2, Coach, and thousands of Shopify brands. On average, Attentive customers see 25 times ROI and 18.5% of online revenue driven by SMS. Grow your SMS list fast and engage high-value mobile subscribers with personalized messages that exceed your performance marketing goals. Getting started is easy. Attentive's best-in-class SMS marketing experts will help you quickly launch and scale your SMS program. Ready for SMS to become one of your top three revenue channels? Learn how to get started with your free trial by requesting a demo at attentivemobile.com. And we're back. What did you do during the whole COVID and lockdown? Did you continue with the experiential side of the business? Yeah, COVID was an interesting time for everybody without question. And we were actually one of the first to close our stores. I really think about how as a team, we are a team of parents. We are family first about things and not knowing what was happening. We were one of the first to say, we don't know what's happening. We're shutting down our stores until we feel better about things. And as we did that, we have an incredible director of experiences. We have so many people that were thinking about events. And one of the first things we realized, Robert, is, all right, all of a sudden we've got all these parents and they're getting ready to deliver during a pandemic. They did not know when they got pregnant that they were going to be delivering during probably one of the scariest times to deliver a baby in recent history. And so immediately we weren't even thinking about, all right, how do we take our experiences and make them virtual at that point? We were thinking about, all right, how do we start doing classes? What to expect? 
when you go to the hospital and there's COVID and you're having your baby. And overnight, we went from classes that were 30 or 40 people, which was amazing. And we're as close, as many people as you're going to want to get in one of our like 900 square foot stores. And we found that we had a thousand RSVPs. Like we didn't even have a big enough Zoom room in the beginning. We would be like, oh wait, we don't have it there. We need to buy more space or whatever it was in the early days that you needed to do when Zoom was something that was start, that wasn't familiar as it's become to us. And that is was like the catalyst that got us to start thinking about, wow, you know, everybody's still the pregnancy hasn't changed. And so everybody that's having a baby, that's going to have a baby, they're going to want all of the same information. And so we just ended up making it virtual. And we have so many incredible experts that we work with. A lot of them are moms. They've been very resilient and they took their own classes and they took them online because people still wanted that ultimate connection of parenthood. And while some of that wasn't the same, you weren't necessarily meeting any other moms or dads in the room. It was still a way to connect and feel like you were part of a process of a group. So I think in some ways people crave that even more during that initial COVID portion. Yeah, I think people especially needing connection and 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 you're you're right. That's a not thinking about it, obviously having older kids now, but that's a scary thought, you know, going in and giving birth during this time period. It's just so different. It's great that you guys were out there with giving support and what is the plans for coming back? And are you going to go to hybrid events and experiences or, or have you given thought to that? Yeah, their physical retail is bouncing back, Robert, and it's bouncing back faster than we anticipated. So I'm happy to report, at least from our perspective, that people are back out and they're shopping. And I think even, I mean, I was shopping at the mall, like maybe it was a couple of weeks ago and it was exhilarating. I mean, just the regular things, like you said, you're picking up a coffee, you're walking into a store. It's like euphoria. You can't believe you're out doing it. It feels so different all of a sudden. And so we absolutely believe in the power of physical retail. That said, we love the hybrid of both types of events because we're our thesis and our feeling, what we're seeing so far is that we've got this whole generation of kids. They're one years old and they've never experienced the world, right? So we've got customers, you know, Monica and Andy community, and they are clamoring to get their children from behind a screen and out into the real world. So I think that there are, we're very bullish about, all right, kids are coming back and doing stuff in person. On the flip side of things, you're nine months pregnant. You're pretty comfortable on your sofa watching some of our virtual classes. And so we're kind of taking it case by case, trimester by trimester, stage by stage. And we're thinking about, all right, what's the stage of this customer and what would they be interested in doing? And so we absolutely think experiences in physical spaces are back. We're still pretty cautious about numbers and how we're doing things. So we're, you know, we're always like being as thoughtful to our customers and our team as we possibly can be. But the virtual world is not is here to stay. Absolutely. Even like you and I are talking today and we could be doing it in person, right? But easier to do it this way. And so we were thinking through it step by step. Yeah. It's a lot easier than you having to fly here and in our studio and, you know, we're able to have this conversation. And I do agree with you. I think virtual is, is definitely here to stay. And I think there's going to be a lot of hybrid, but I also think, like you said, retail is coming back in a big way. I know, I think Dick's Sporting Goods just announced kind of yesterday, some big initiatives and how well they're doing and how, I guess, what they call retail tainment or experiences are, are, are really the future. I'm a 
huge believer in that, obviously, as I said, coming from where I come from. And I I don't think that the pandemic, I think now, like you said, you're going to see more people, they want to get out. Like I just walk outside and I'm so grateful. Like I'm walking outside now, right? Like, and to get back in store, to see people, to connect with people, especially with what you guys do and sell, people want to be talking to each other. So it sounds like you're right. There's going to be a lot of potential opportunity for growth within your retail business. A lot of potential for opportunity. And I think we, and you know, the positive side of it is like we've built muscles that we wouldn't have built this quickly on the other side of the business. And so we're definitely more resilient today in terms of like a changing world than we were a year ago. And I think even as leaders, as entrepreneurs, I mean, as difficult as this last year was for so many people, I think there's skills that will take away. This will not be a year that anybody that was at a startup, I mean, so many places, right? But just speaking from the direct-to-consumer world, there's so many lessons learned this year that we can we can take forward with us. Yeah, there's no doubt. What do you see for the future, knowing all this, going through this? Where do you see the brand in the next couple of years? And are there any new areas you're looking to go into or things you're looking to change and do differently? We're absolutely excited to continue to look at the areas of parenthood that still need solutions. Registering is, is an example of one of those areas. You know, even two years ago, there were so many people at Monica Nandy having babies and nobody knew what to register for, Robert. And so we thought, wait a second, I mean, if no one at Monica Nandy knows what to register for, it's far from us knowing everything. We got to find a solution for this. And so we've now built this universal registry and it's very service oriented. And there's, you know, there's things for moms and parents on it as well, because we feel like, hey, like where's where's the self-care? Let's give that to let's give that to the parents as well. And so this idea of services and of being able to go so much deeper with this customer in so many ways. Like I think about so many other storied brands that are out there outside of the children's space. But I think that the opportunity for us to grow a lot more deeply into this place and to offer even more to this customer that is at this stage is absolutely what the future will bring. And the more that we can be solution and service oriented towards what that looks like and think from like a technology enabled standpoint about there's a whole nother generation that's getting ready to become parents at some point, right? We're getting, we're getting ready to another generation of parents. And so really trying to stay at the cutting edge, what does modern parenthood look like? And continuing to be part of that evolution is absolutely our biggest area of focus. You've become such an incredible for so many, you become this great resource and brand for so many parents, young parents. How do, you know, and it's so, especially at that stage when you're just starting out and they can trust in you and you build such a great relationship. Have you thought about ways where you can grow with parents as their kids get older? As what are any ideas there? I would imagine. We actually currently, believe it or not, go up to the age of 10 with our apparel. And that is the first sizes that sell out. And it's probably because we also don't make like the broadest investment in those sizes. But our goal is absolutely to have the opportunity to grow with the child, at least for as long as like the parent is capable of dressing them. And I don't know if hopefully my daughter can't hear me, but we went up to, we go up to 10 because she's also turned 10. And if she didn't have the clothing to wear, I would be in really big trouble. So, you know, I want to make sure, you know, she still has, you know, she, she weighs in on the designs all the time. I'm living Uh, that dream too. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) And so what I found is up till 10 so far, very excited about everything that we have to offer, which is great. We'll see where where that takes us next year, but we absolutely feel like there's an opportunity 
to grow with our customer over time. And as a matter of fact, this is going to sound strange, Robert, but to grow in the other direction too. So we have found, I got my daughter, I've actually had three miscarriages myself. So we've had multiple fertility issues. So one of the things that I've really opened my eyes to as well is like the fertility journey that so many women are on. Maybe it's after they have their first kid, but in some cases it's before. And, you know, people are getting married and they're starting to think about family planning and we're a very giftable brand. So again, sometimes as a brand, it's like you have a plan with where you want to go, but then you kind of want to listen to your customers. Like, where do your customers want you to go? And we realized we had a lot of customers that were just getting married. Their friends were having babies and they were at that stage. And we started to develop content for them. And so that was about like family planning and fertility. And that started to draw big crowds. And then we started to think about maternity. And one of our best-selling products became our maternity lounge row because suddenly we could talk to people on their first trimester. And so we absolutely see an opportunity to grow up, but we also see in a strange way of saying it, an opportunity to grow down, which is how can we touch people even sooner? Because having a baby is so far along the journey of thinking about and planning for that baby. And I, we going back, I wish there was so much more I had learned. I had known when I got married about my own fertility. And if I had thought about that, maybe in a different way, there's so much I've now learned after the fact, but like educating people as soon as we can about things is where we're really headed. And sometimes that's like, that's back to, you know, earlier stage of life. You know, I love that from a business standpoint, growing down. And I I didn't even think of that, right? I'm thinking of next stage and it's heartbreaking and hearing about miscarriage, let alone three miscarriages. And I'm sure that was an incredibly tough time for you. And you're right. How great would it have been or to have kind of information or connection to others or content that you could really have, could have helped you. So it sounds like that's such a great idea to look the other way. And it was through my own like misfortunes, as you said. And I, you know, I think about a lot of the journey of parenthood, there's so many highs and so many lows, and I've been grateful for all of it because I think that as hard as some of it's been, it's opened my eyes to like different segments of things that I wouldn't have thought about before. And so even as you said, with with miscarriages, we started to hold panels and talk about it because even at that point I had the brand and I was like, I don't even know who to talk to about this. You know, so it just made me realize that there is an endless amount of services and resources that you can offer parents. And we have barely scratched the surface really of what I think could come. Well, it sounds like you've made an incredible jump and it's a great thing you dove into this business as as you guys have done so well. What would you say your leadership style has been? And has that enabled you to grow your organization and community? I think that my, my leadership style, the way I would describe my leadership style is really an evolution, Robert. I didn't set out to be a CEO and to run a company. That wasn't what I was, I don't even want to say qualified to do. It wasn't what I had been groomed to do. And so for me, a lot of leadership is about listening and improving myself and learning. And I tell my team this all the time. We're on this evolving journey together. None of us, myself at the helm of it, are fully formed to be in this this place necessarily. But we're always thinking about what are our personality styles? How do they fit together? And I think for me, the biggest part of leadership is understanding my weaknesses and how can I look at my weaknesses and hopefully turn those into strengths or at least build an awareness for them and my management team. And so we always think about this as, you know, being the CEO of Monica Andy when I started in 2014 is very different than my job and the requirements in 2021. And as I think ahead, it's very different than maybe what I'll be doing in 2024. And so I think always surrounding myself with people. And I think this is one thing Andy did really well. You always need people that are, can tell you the brutal truth. 
that don't necessarily have skin in the game and can just say, hey, Monica, you know what? You're actually acting like a real fool in this situation. And fortunately, that is my mom for my brother and I in a lot of ways. And if you met my mom, she would tell you the truth, I'm sure too, in a very kind way. I love your mom already. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I loved her from the start, just that as a 19-year-old, she was like, just how hard, I love the immigrant story. And it's just amazing what, and I know many parents who came over when they were 17, 18, and just so their kids could have a better life. And to me that I'm glad, like, I'm sure that's kept her real regardless. And she knows what she did and I'm, I'm hopefully she's proud of it, but does seem like she'll tell you the truth for sure. She'll tell you the truth. And so I feel like I am a leader that is always learning and evolving. And there's work for me always to get to the next stage. And Robert, even with the investors that I've taken, I love to have operators, people that can see around the corner for me. And someday I hope to be the person that sees around the corner. I try to see around the corner for the team. And then, you know, someday to pay it forward, to work with other entrepreneurs, to see around the corner for them. Because a lot of my investors, they've seen a lot of corners as one of them, Bobby Yazdani would say. And, you know, the more that I can see around the corner for my team is what I need to do. Yeah, I guess you have your mom and and I know investors aren't too shy either about telling you, uh, (laughs) you know, what to do. Unfortunately, half the time, not yours, but half the time they tell you the wrong things. But in any case, you do want to surround yourself when you do have good people funding you. And it's so great. It sounds like you do to have those people telling you because it's hard when you're at the top and you're the CEO or president running this business. People, they want to keep their jobs. And of course, everything you're going to say is, yes, great. But I love the fact that at least your mom's going to call you out. That That's cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. My mom's definitely going to call me out. So I do think it's helpful. It's humbling a lot of times too, because you're not, as a CEO, you're not always going to hear the truth. And so I think trying to open yourself up to those conversations. And I'm a work in progress. I mean, there's no perfection in what I do. I'm always learning myself. What would you say you've learned the most since you started the business? And is there anything you think back on from when you started and from leading a company that you kind of are like, oh, maybe I should have acted differently? I think the thing that I have learned the most is relatively speaking, it's hard. It's so much harder and so much more fun than I ever thought it would be. I had no idea. If you weren't absolutely addicted to your company and to your job, there is just no reason that you would take this kind of brutal pain on a day-to-day basis. And I I think that, you know, I say that lightly, obviously there's many more actual painful things in life, but I think that my brother is the founder of Bonobos. Myself is the founder of Monica Nandy. My husband is the founder of Interior Define. We were, I hate to say it, Robert, but we were kind of foolish for all three of us to do that at the same. I mean, my, my mom would tell you that I can tell you what, if she was on the podcast, she would say, what were they thinking, Robert? Like we were hoping for a more relaxed retirement. And what we got was three entrepreneurs that were struggling to get stuff done. So I think if I knew then what I know now, I never would have done this. And I would have missed out on so much fun. If I took the leap and I knew that like, I would still be in the air today. And I am, and it's great, but um, I don't think I would have done it and I would have missed out on the ride of an absolute lifetime. So I think that it's good that I did it, but I, it's almost better that you don't know too much. And I think not being an expert in apparel, like there was nothing about my background that was like really cool to do this. And so I was almost just like uncool enough and knew just, a, just like so little that it actually became like, it didn't matter if I failed in the beginning. So I was just unafraid. 
Yeah, I, I love that because it's so true. So many stories I hear and just going through my own entrepreneurial journeys, like you said, it's about the journey and reminding myself each day. I, I love the growing of a business and knowing, of course, going in it now a third time. And like you said, you forget it, it's it's hard. It's so it's difficult and you have to pick yourself off the mat. And it's never easy the second time or the third time or wherever, you know, that's why I think a lot of people who start companies, sell them, they end up going into VC, right? And funding other people so they could do the work. But it does sound like you've learned so much. And I'm curious if there's a message you have or what you would tell someone else now starting out as an entrepreneur, maybe in the same position as you, where their parents want them to go to med school or want them, you know, to take the kind of safer route. What would your advice be? My advice would be go for it to start because I think everybody, you know, we only live what at, at our luckiest a hundred years or so. I'll and take a so, hundred. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So like in a best case scenario, I always like to be an optimist. We're going to go to a hundred years. And so every year is a choice. And if you have the choice to do something different and you have an inclination to do it, go for it. But I think the number one piece of advice that I would give is surround yourself, whether it's your team if you're fortunate enough to have investors, whether it's your investors, the people around you that have shared values, that is the number one most important thing. Because, you know, my co-founder, Brian, and I started working together. It feels like eons ago. And it's kind of like every working relationship, whether it's with your investor, whether it's with your co-founder, like it's almost like a marriage. And I think about it, I was just married 15 years this year. And I feel so lucky because, you know, you really don't even know somebody in retrospect when you get married and you think 15 years, my husband and I are like totally different people, but we've grown in the same direction. Like could be a, the difference, right? And I think even with my co-founders, I think about with my investors, we we started with shared values and it is those shared values that keep us together today. And I think that you need people around you that support you. And whether if you're a parent and you're starting to do this, like you need a network of support. No entrepreneur can do this alone without encouragement, without help, and without the right people. And so we always like to say that like there's enough drama at Monica and Andy that like we like to hire drama-free people to come and work with us because we'll we'll bring the drama. That's no problem. We don't need anyone to bring it. We'll bring it ourselves. And so I think it's it's those shared values that really and the support you get from other people that will propel you to be able to continue. If not for my family, my parents, my husband, my brother. I wouldn't still be doing this. I could not have done this by myself. Yeah. You sound blessed to have had that support system and just these people that you could go to and talk to. But at the end of the day, it's all you from building and your co-founder building this business and being an entrepreneur, like you said, is there's tough days and hard days and days you want to quit. And it's so great to see you at this stage and extremely successful in what you've built. And I love the fact you talked about shared values, whether it's a relationship, a personal relationship or business relationship or people you surround yourself with. I'm a true believer too, that that's what really keeps people connected. The other stuff, if you don't have that, a lot of the other stuff, it's very difficult. And it, it sounds like you and your your co-founder always had those shared values and, and regardless, were able to move forward together because of that. You absolutely were able to do that. And the funny thing that I think about all the time, Robert, is I think with my husband and my brother and myself, what will my daughter end up doing? My husband just, I mean, my brother, sorry, just had a son as well. 
And it's funny, someone asked her one day, we were at a panel and someone came up and said, oh, do you want to be a CEO like your mom? And miss, not missing a beat, she was like seven. She's like, no, no. She's like, I want to be the chairman of the board because that's the boss's <laughs> boss. And I thought, you know what? That's pretty, yeah, you want to be the chairman of the board. That's a good way to go. So I'm always thinking, you know, it's funny. I've become very passionate about the next generation of female entrepreneurs. I mean, as female CEO, we get what, like 3% of the funding. And I feel like there's so many people impacting incredible change at this level. And I really am excited to focus on like, how can we affect change on this next generation? I know you said you have two daughters. How can we affect change on this next generation of girls? Because my daughter still thinks she's like, they think they're the greatest, you know, humans alive at that age. How can they keep thinking that? And that, and, and like, that's, you know, that's what I'm hoping she brings to a boardroom someday. So it's fun to see what our kids will do, what your kids will do after seeing this journey. And then I ask myself all the time, my grandmother's no longer with us. Can I keep that, the immigrant spirit alive this much later with a daughter that leads a life of immense privilege compared to the child bride at 12? My, my daughter is approaching that age that my grandmother got married. And Isn't that amazing? Like when you think of that, like you put, you know, and I have a, a daughter too, around the same age and it's just incredible to think. And, and like what you just said about the privilege a lot of these kids are brought up who had immigrant, my grandparents came over. And I do look at my kids now and I, I wonder like, are they going to have that drive, desire? Like, and that kind of worries me. I mean, I love the fact your daughter said she wants to be the chairman because she's actually, that's so <laughs> funny and so smart. I love that. But like that, it's a, it's a concern, you know, nowadays with a lot of kids. And it, it's just like even keeping those stories alive. My family was actually originally from Pakistan before partition, and they went on that whole journey of partition. And so, yeah, I mean, they were shaped by so much hardship. And you do wonder how can we shape the same, the same strength of character with so much privilege. And so it is definitely something, something to think about. And then is there a lot of power in being able to keep that journey alive? And then, you know, can my can my daughter end up fulfilling some of the dreams of my grandmother? I mean, it's just it's incredible to think about the multiple generations and how all of that comes together. I think about my grandmother every day when I do this job and think like, what would, what would she think of it? And if she had had the privilege to have this job, you know, what would she have been like in it? So it's fun to, to daydream about that. Sometimes. Yeah, that's so awesome that that thinking about that and reminding yourself, I think all of us that the generations that came before us and similar stories in my family from my grandfather coming over at 18, both of the, you know, like just trying to make ends meet. And then the opportunity I was given two generations later, like I could very easily have been that first generate, you know, and it just to be grateful to hear that from you is really heartwarming. And, and I'm sure you put that into your culture at Monica and Andy, and I want to wish you the best in terms of moving forward. I'm sure your daughter will be running the company soon enough and, uh, you'll be working for her. So, uh, in any case, and, and thank you so much for really focusing on, on female leadership and especially coming from a dad who's got two girls and it's just so important I really, you know, in that respect, want them to be able to have the same opportunities because I saw it with my wife, like she definitely got passed on like by guys who with half the skill set and that I'm talking 10 years ago. So I'm glad that's really a priority of yours. And I'm sure you'll do incredible things in that space as well as you grow. Really excited about the future and where things are going. And Robert, thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute pleasure to speak with you and get to share this story of privilege. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Monica. Excellent. Thanks, Robert. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, 
please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N. Or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business. Or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.